Well, hello, White Sox fans. How you guys doing tonight? Um, besides the fact of there being a impasse in CBA negotiations and uh, basically nothing going on, we're still hanging out. Um, my name is Ian Eskridge. I'm here with my co-hosts, Danny Miller and Xavier Sanchez. How you guys doing tonight? Doing pretty well. Uh just uh, missing some uh, real baseball conversation here, uh, you know, with the uh, the lockdown. So, or I should say, lockout. So, good to be here on the show. At least we uh, we get a little something to talk about. Savior, uh, much of the same. Um, I'm still a little confused about like what what like what teams can and cannot do, and what like. Because I we last I think right before last week's episode, um, the Astros finished uh, Verlander's contract after this whole shutdown. So it's like that that seems like a bending of some rule. And then you get teams can still add the minor league players, but also uh, they can also announce their manager. So I'm a little lost on some of the things. Yeah, there does seem to be a little bit of a gray area. Um, I know that the whole thing with the minor leaguers is that if the player is not technically part of the MLBPA, uh, they are allowed to sign. Now, exactly what the timeline is on when somebody is part of the MLBPA and when they are not that part, I am not clear. Um, I know that, uh, you have to have like a certain amount of time on a major league roster or on a 40 man roster, um, sometime in that calendar year, but I don't know how much time it, uh, it is to, uh, basically make them a part of the MLBPA. That part I'd have to look up. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's that part. Uh, the Verlander thing was kind of weird. I find that also kind of strange that he was allowed to finish his contract um, on that side of the uh, deadline. It does seem kind of strange. Uh, the manager's I part... Think- uh, in, in case of Verlander, I, from what I read, and I don't know how accurate this is, but because the deal had started before the lockout and was agreed upon, I think it was just uh, physicals and, uh, you know, uh, basically clearing of uh, medicals and whatnot that really was uh, the holdup on that. So, uh, I mean, I guess, yeah, it seems like, you know, the contract was finished. After the lockout, it began, but really, I think it was just, you know, uh, red tape stuff. You know, everything had already been agreed upon as far as money and years and everything else. So, but, I, you know, I could be wrong. I don't know. I mean, it makes sense. Uh, I mean, technically, the deal was done. They just needed to make sure that the medical stuff would clear, right? So, at that point, as, you know, as long as he takes a physical, I'm sure he wants that money. So, he's going to uh, sign that contract. So, right. <laughs> I you know I don't uh, I don't blame either party for uh, getting the deal taken care of if that's if it's legal, which I guess it is. So um, yeah, so not much going on on the uh, CBA front. Uh, I don't know if you 
we talked about this uh, pre-stream, but um, Evan Drellick of uh, The Athletic did mention that the owners and players are not talking financials and actual important things until January. So uh, I guess everybody's just going to chill out for the holidays, which, you know, hey, more power to you. Go spend some time with your family. I get it. Um, why the lawyers can't talk and the uh, the heads of the union can't talk and sort this whole thing out at the same time, I don't understand. That's kind of their job. Um, but, hey, we know that Tony Clark's been guilty of not doing his job before, so why start now? So, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to talk about tonight was if money were no object um, and you could sign somebody for, I don't know, say whoever was going to take a, a White Soxy contract and uh, being around like uh, three years and $36 million for uh, the best player to ever live. Um, what position would you take and who would you take? Now, I want to keep in mind of who the White Sox have that are going to fill the other positions if you sign said player. So if you decide that you want a starting pitcher and you sign, I don't know, say Clayton Kershaw, he's a free agent, so we'll just throw his name out there. Um, if you wanted to sign Clayton Kershaw. He wouldn't be the first to throw his name out there, by the way. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, the the health concerns are real with him. Um, but, you know, say he came back and he was 100% fine. I'm just speaking 100% here in hypotheticals. If you could get him and he was going to be healthy for those three years and that was your guy, then you have to weigh, is it worth getting Kershaw and dealing with what the White Sox have at second base and right field? Or would you, re would you rather go a, a different route? Uh, if you don't mind, I think I'm going to defer to Xavier on this one. Uh, I do have a thought in mind, but I'd like to hear your thoughts first. If, if you could grace us so kindly, Xavier. Um, I saw a lot on social media with like the moving of players recently, like, like, if we were to spend all this money on whoever, Carlos Correa, all these big names, a lot of that meant like shifting people. Who would they shift? Tim Anderson the second, uh, uh, Mankata the second, or whatnot. Um, for me, for me, like I would love to bring in a really big name for someone. Uh, personally, as much as I like some of the people out there, like I, I really think Mankata's got to stay where he's at because, like. I think anything more, it's just going to bring him back to like a struggle again. And he looks comfortable enough, and I'd rather him focus on the things we all want him to do more of next year, such as the home runs and driving people in. Um, I, I'm Pitching is a big one um, of the players that are left. I'm not familiar of who's out there. I obviously would have loved to have 
Max Scherzer, but he's already signed and packaged away. But I still really hope they land uh, Nick Castellanos. I really like him, and that's obviously a hole that we need. I also... I wouldn't be mad. Like, Chris Bryant's... All, I think he's still much better than people think he is. But at the same time, he plays... Uh, arranged positions, but... he. He's more he, he's more put into left field than right field, which I don't know how that sh- works with the White Sox right now. Yeah, I I'd say that those are some acceptable answers, and uh, I I concur that uh, I think probably that's not a bad spot to uh, to go to. Um, Danny, what are your feelings on this? Uh, well. I really, when you asked the question, had one player in mind if it was going to be just one. Uh, As much as I would like to see Carlos Rodon back, um, you know, uh, we probably do need some help in the pitching department, but, you know, you've got to get Michael Kopech his innings. You've got to get... Garrett Crochet is inning. So we've been talking about for a long time on this show the black hole that is right field and has been for what seems like almost an entire lifetime. Uh, I also would love to see Nick Castellanos uh, signed here in you know before the season were to get underway. Um, I know a lot of folks are going to, you know, kind of poo-poo on that and tell me that uh, his defense isn't that great and, you know, he uh, he has issues out there in the field. but Or, you know, they want somebody that's going to swing it from the, the left-hand side of the plate. Hey, I don't care about any of that because I think that his bat is going to play big at the great. And, uh, you know, offensively we saw this team explode many times last year and then go completely dormant for, you know, three, four or five games. And uh, I just think it would be a shot in the arm to the offense. And look, to be honest with you, I don't think that his defense is so bad that he's going to put you in holes, especially if he's scoring runs and he's giving you a WRC of, you know, 115, 120, 130, you know, over the next coming year. So, uh, I think those those you know those things kind of balance each other out, and uh, I just would love to see another big bat in the lineup. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I I am torn uh, in a couple of different directions. Now, Nick Castellanos has the attitude. Uh, he's one of those guys that's always uh, starting issues with other teams which is fun. Um, he always, he always hits for the most part. Uh, he doesn't uh, go into huge slumps per se. Um, again, you know, as, as mentioned, you know, you're looking at the, the defensive aspect of his game and that's a tough one because we know that he's uh, below average defensively in right field. However, um, if you were to choose a different position and the White Sox go with Vaughn Sheets platoon 
Um, I'm not personally. I'm not. Uh, I understand that Adam Engel is a plus defensively, uh, but as we've mentioned on here before, is with the injuries, and they seem to be super frequent with Adam Engel. And I find that to be a problem. So I'm thinking that you're probably looking at Vaughn and Sheets in right field uh, with a smattering of Adam Engel just because I don't know if he can stay healthy. And uh, even if he does stay healthy, I don't know if the White Sox brass is going to allow Sheets or Vaughn to sit. So that, to me, uh, knowing, seeing their defensive metrics in right field, I'm not saying that they can't improve, which they possibly could, but Nick Castellanos is a better right fielder than both of those guys, which there's that, you know? I mean, at least he's an upgrade defensively over those two. Uh, Definitely an upgrade over Leury in right field. That's not something that... uh, I'm sure every you know anybody wants to see, um, so that weighs heavily. Um, but again, he is right-handed, and the lineup is fairly heavy right-handed hitting ball club. So that that's uh, another thing. So then I throw it to uh, Kyle Schwarber, left-handed. He's pretty much guaranteed no matter what to hit 30 home runs. The issue there, also bad on defense. And he's been known to go into uh, long slumps, prolonged slumps where, you know, you could end up getting a 220 average out of him at the end of the season, which, as we've talked about before, we're not the biggest fans of the batting average stat. However, it's it's somewhat of a, a marker for you to at least look at that if you're looking at somebody with a, a 220 average, you'd rather have somebody that's hitting 300 if their OPSs are relatively in the same ballpark, just so you're not. Uh, you know, and that's the thing with the White Sox in right field is we've had a, a, a handful of right fielders over the years that had the potential, the power potential to go out and hit 30 dangers a year. Maybe they didn't realize it, you know, for whatever reason. But, you know, those same guys, like you you say, you, a lot of those guys hit, you know, 200, 220, hitting below the Mendoza line, uh, striking out 200 times a year. And couple that with, you know, the bad defense that you mentioned with Schwarber. And that, that it gives you kind of that... Uh, it gives you that... It gives you that, that, that indigestion about... Uh, going down that route, but, you know, that's just me. Yeah. So the other main option, I would say, for right field is Conforto. Um, I also wouldn't be mad about that. Yeah. I I mean, we've had this conversation about him before. I don't dislike Conforto. I just, it, it wouldn't be the flashiest signing. And, but, however... He's better than all of the listed guys in right field. Nice OBP, and he still hits for power. Granted, last year, the first, uh, let's see, 
April, May, June, and July were all dreadful. So realistically, you only ended up getting August and September out of Conforto last year. Now, those two months were good enough that it basically canceled out the first couple of months where the numbers were subpar, that his numbers were so good in the last two months that it ended up putting him at a, uh, a respectable number by the end of the year. So I would lean probably towards Conforto at this point because we've gotten kind of deep into the uh, free agent market already because of that, uh, that bonanza. Now, as far as uh, second base goes, um, there aren't really any true second basemen out there. So if you're looking at, say, uh, Carlos Correa or somebody along those lines, is that you're looking at a shortstop. You're not looking at a second baseman. Um, I know that... uh, the uh, White Sox Talk podcast went on a, a big rant and basically ran through every single club and uh, who their second basemen were, and there was a lot of uh, interesting trade possibilities. You know, Now, what that ends up being, I know that the White Sox are talking that uh, they were looking heavily into the trade market, and what ends up coming of that that you know who knows that's such a crapshoot you could never predict something like that um so i'd say second base as far as free agents is pretty much out because there aren't really uh if i was going to go for that one guy that one guy's not out there um one of the possibilities that they talked about on that podcast was uh the white Sox trading with the mets to grab jeff mcneil which i would be 100% on board with that. Static. Yeah. That I would, would be absolutely ecstatic. That would be the move of the offseason for me, unless you go out and sign some huge, huge name. That would be a phenomenal move. Yeah. I'd in be, my book. I'd be super stoked about that. Um, now, one thing I did hear is that the Mets tried to get him to do a little bit more of a launch angle thing last year. And uh, that negatively impacted his contact numbers, uh, and it was evident if you if you run through his stats, you know the contact numbers were quite a bit lower last year. Um, but you know, assuming that you go back to the normal Jeff McNeil, which is high contact with occasional, uh, you know, power surges. Uh, I would be 100% on board with that, and that would be phenomenal. Now, what would you, what you would have to give up for a Jeff McNeil, that I don't know. Um, so there's that. So uh, right field, second base, and now pitching. Your free agent pitchers. We all know my answer. <laughs> I have not been quiet about this at all from the beginning. Uh, if I were to go out and sign any one of those pitchers, I would love nothing more than to have a guy who was talked about in possible Cy Young uh, voting this year had he gotten the innings. A guy that we have all grown to uh, know over the years because he has been a part of this organization, this White Sox organization, for a few years. But Carlos Rodon. Give me the big lefty. Bring him back. 
they we need a we need a lefty arm in the rotation because uh, you know if unless uh, Kid Kaiki has a uh, huge resurgence in his career here, the uh, the left side of the the uh, rotation is looking uh, well non-existent. Yeah, one thing I did I did completely space uh, what Xavier said. Chris Bryant also oh uh, would be a good ad in right field. So now I know that uh, a lot of Sox fans would not be uh, so stoked on that because of the uh, so-called uh, cubby taint. Um, but me personally, like I, I, you said taint. I I really did, and uh, <laughs> but not the the context is a little different here, right? Yeah, but no, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean the the. Chris Bryant again. Uh, Trevor Story's available. No second base. You know, I mean, you're basically going to have to be putting guys out of position. Now, I don't think that uh, there would really be an issue with those guys at second base, but at the same time, you know, I guess this being a all hypothetical situation, I could tell them what I want them to do, and they'd do it. Um, and they'd totally be stoked about doing it for three years and $36 million uh, with, uh, you know, all sorts of uh, performance clauses that, uh, you know, that's a max contract at 336. Um, but as far as the uh, the pitching goes, the White Sox sat on their hands for quite a long time uh, watching these pitchers fly off the off the shelves so basically you know more or less what you're looking at is Rodon Kershaw um, I'm trying to think uh, Zach Greinke I believe is available still which uh, that's a no thanks for me um, I'm trying to think who else is uh, who else is out there yeah we don't we don't need all that quirkiness for you, sure yeah. he's a, he's an oddball man I mean good pitcher at the end of his career here, but definitely a, a strange bird for sure. <laughs> so Duffy's still available, I believe, right? Danny Duffy didn't yeah. sign anywhere. Um, no. And then uh, Kikuchi's available, which, you know, the White Sox have seen him a couple of times, and every single time we beat the pants off of him, uh, from what I can remember. Um, you got that uh, Ha Song. Kim, I believe, is still out there. Uh, yeah. Get rid of the. I'm sorry. I'm I'm peeking at the Bears game here, and I'm gonna start yapping. Yeah, you should uh should not I do should that. Just turn that off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh that's that's no bueno. Um. Yeah, I don't know. the 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 whole thing is is that there's not really. Uh, I'd have to say that if the White Sox got Conforto or Bryant. I'd have to say that that would probably be my best case scenario, I would think. Um, and I'm going to have to, unfortunately, lean towards the uh, probably... Yeesh, I'd probably have to lean to Conforto, I think. Oh, and I, that really just does not make me happy saying that. <laughs> you know, I mean, we had this conversation before that I just I that it was never a move that would really excite me. And 
I know that um, I could make it through next year, I think, with uh, Yolbert or Romy Gonzalez. I'm pretty yeah. sure that they could that they could manage if the, if that guy if either of those guys is batting ninth in the order say you've you know they're working their kinks out in the majors and uh they need some time to get comfortable I think that the White Sox assuming that everybody is healthy uh which is unfortunately a big assumption at this point um I think that that would be probably the most weatherable storm would be second base. I think that uh, losing out on some bigger production from right field would probably be uh, more missed than second base, I would think. And yeah. I'm not thrilled with any of the starting pitching. So No, and you know, the thing is, is, you know, just going off of that starting pitching, and I, I'm, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but uh, you know, looking back at how that market went before the lockdown almost makes you feel like maybe they should have went ahead and offered that that, that qualifying offer to uh, Carlos Rodon. Because, you know, we all, we talked about, well, they were afraid he would accept it. He might have. Or his, you know, very well-known agent might have told him, you know, sit back because he might have had his ears to the, to the you know, to the railroad tracks here and heard the train coming the train that we didn't obviously see coming because nobody really expected that what happened, at least I didn't, uh, you know, it, at the very least, if he doesn't take that offer, you know, the white Sox get, uh, some compensation back, but you know, hindsight's 2020. Um, yeah, I don't know. The, the starting pitching market, it, it, if you're going to get anything, of value, it's going to cost. It's really, really, really going to cost. And then that's, you know, you get to that point now where you're looking at the books and you go, do we have any money to really make any other moves, whether it be now during the off season or, you know, even at the trade deadline, are they going to be willing to, uh, you know, jump that threshold and, and, and make the moves they need to make the push. So, it's uh it's it's a it's a delicate situation all the way around honestly. So here here's my here's my problem is that with the way that the market went now I was firmly in the corner of Carlos Rodon getting that qualifying offer. We we had that talk and um a lot of people said that they would not give it to him, and they were happy that he didn't. That they didn't. Uh, my issue here is that it was yes, it was eighteen million dollars for. Now, see, here's here's the kicker: for one year. So my issue is is that it's it's something that is one of those things that drives me nuts with this team. Uh, and with lots of things in general, is being penny smart and pound foolish, which is right now we'll spend a little bit just to get through when if you spent the money and did the right thing, 
that later your results would look better. Now, the White Sox did not allow that, uh, did not put that qualifying offer out there. Say he makes it through three months of the season and you get great production again, like you did last year. Say you get the exact same performance out of Carlos Rodon next year. Um, now, unless, and I have heard this, you know, we, we've talked about this before that we've heard people say, oh, well, the, you know, the White Sox know something about his medicals that nobody else knows. Okay. Sure. But the thing is, is if he goes and has a physical with somebody else and then goes out and puts up the same performance as last year or slightly worse, but makes it through the whole season, then you just essentially let him walk for nothing. You get no compensation, all because you wanted to save a few dollars or you thought you were going to save a few dollars. And now it's going to end up, you know, you're going to end up going to basically pay the same. If if they resign him, they're going to essentially pay him more than $18 million because he's not going to take a one-year deal. Because I don't think that, uh, I don't think he's that injured, personally. Um, and he says he's not as well. He said he was sore, and it's something that you would expect out of a uh, TJ, you know, rehabbing arm. So... Yeah, and you know, I mean, I know it was only for one inning, but that last appearance he made in the final game of the playoffs uh, this season, that first inning, he was throwing triple digits. Doesn't sound like a guy who's hurt to me. Now, yeah, some of that velocity, uh, you know, slowed a little bit in the following, you know, inning in a third or whatever it was that he went. Uh, But, you know... To be honest with you, uh, it didn't slow to the point where it made me uncomfortable. Uh, maybe it made batters a little more comfortable from you know looking at the results now. But I, I honestly don't believe that he is injured unless he injured himself in that game. And I think we probably would have heard something at that point. Yeah, and he probably would have been uh, taking out because his arm hurt, and that was right. not the case. Um, not because he was getting beat up. Yeah. Uh, Xavier, what do you think on this? I mean, do you think that, uh, do you think he's injured? Do you think the White Sox were stupid for not offering him money? I mean, where, where do you, where, where do you stand on this? I'm going to have to agree with you guys. I think, um, I think when it came to those offers, I think the White Sox kind of wanted to sit back and not pick up too many of them, uh, because they thought they can maybe look at taking less, getting a pitcher on less money, and then they saw all these pitchers getting like big, big deal uh, amounts for per, per year, and now now they're sitting and they're probably I think they probably are like, damn, we should have taken it because now who knows? It, it might not be eighteen million a year he's looking for. It might be a couple more. Seeing all these other guys getting it, I don't think he's as injured as we as some are saying. And you know, looking at the list of people out there. Uh, th- that's a gamble I'm, I'm I'm willing the White Sox to go out and take because I don't see many like eye popping pitchers worth putting the same amount of money into. Yeah, I mean, there's realistically eighteen million dollars in the starting pitching market. Eighteen million dollars really is not that much money. 
when you think about it. Um, for what he put up last year and say that, uh, I mean, this 100% hinges on what they think they know. And only the results of what happens within the next calendar year after he signs and ends up pitching for whoever he pitches for uh, when you get those results back, you know, is would that $18 million have been well spent or would it not? And um, I don't know, seeing what the starting pitching has been going for, I'm kind of leaning towards it would have been worth it. And, yep. and I, I, yeah, go ahead. And when it like the risks involved, yeah, you're if there is injuries to worry about, I don't think what we saw out of him, like he performed really well, and a lot of it probably was just coming out of the gates pretty hot and having to realize now you got to play a 162 game season, not a short season, so that's a whole uh, pretty taxing, and yeah got to learn how to adjust to the longer season. And I think we saw enough towards the end where maybe he is all right. There's a little bit of like, oh, he's probably tired, but oh, look at this is what he can do and he is doing. And if I was to take any risk, I would take that over a lot of these other people out there because a lot of those guys are um, haven't aren't pitching at that kind of level. And ever. the ones that have or did, <laughs> yeah. ever. And then the ones that have or did, they're old. And why take that risk? Yeah, I mean, well. yeah, and not just old. A lot of them are injury prone. You know, we can talk about how injury prone Carlos has been through his career, but you know, some of these guys, yeah, you know, maybe some of the older guys have the background to say, you know, they've they've been to a World Series or multiple World Series, and they've pitched well in the playoffs and years, but. They've also uh, had their share of injuries. You know, Zach Greinke is not his is you know has not been without his injuries. You know, we talked about Kershaw a little bit earlier. He's not been without his injuries. Uh, and you know, all those guys are they're getting older. There's injuries uh, could be returning. It's very difficult to throw money at these guys who have the wear and tear that uh, some of these players do. And you know, Carlos finally. After years and years and years and years of pitching through pain, said he didn't have any pain until the end of the season last year, and I think that was just a conditioning thing. You know, he hasn't pitched a full season in a while. <laughs> you know, he came back from TJ. Uh, you know, I, it's uh, I, I, like I said, it's hindsight's twenty twenty, but uh, looking back now, it just it just makes me wish that they would have at least giving him the, the QO and at, at the very, very, very least in that situation, you get the compensation back if he doesn't accept. Yeah. I mean, look at it this way is that, uh, last year, uh, Kluber got what? $10 million, uh, for his contract for last year, I believe. Um, let me look that up real quick. I'm pretty sure it was, that's what it was, but I will do my best to actually uh, find out what it was. I'm pretty sure it was $10 million. Um, 
And he got an $8 million contract this year with the Rays for one year. Uh, so last year, let's look up that contract. One year, $11 million. Um, now we go and uh, real quick, let's look. Uh, 16 games started, 80 innings pitched, uh, 3.83 ERA with a 1.34 whip. Now, they paid Carlos $3 million, and uh, basically he doubled the innings pitched, um, the strikeouts, uh, had a much lower ERA, much lower whip, and a five, what was it, five and a half war for the innings that he did pitch. So who, you know, you know, I mean, like I said, this is 100% a results in the future. When we look back at this through binoculars and we talk about the uh, the postseason of 2021 in uh, a year or so, uh, when we're looking at this season in the rear view, if he goes somewhere else and uh, is crushing over there, and meanwhile the White Sox get zero compensation from it, uh, all because they wanted to save themselves a couple of bucks for one season, which is your winning uh, one season in your contention window that you've been talking so much about for uh years and years now at this point we're talking we're going on five years now where they've been talking about the contention window finally being open and working towards this window and again here we are at this same spot where we're all still saying the exact same things about every single contract negotiation or every single dollar that's spent and um that's frustrating yeah, and here we are, you know, just going back to, uh, a little bit in the show tonight talking about, and don't get me wrong, I agreed with you when you said it, but we're talking about guys like Romy Gonzalez and Yolbert Sanchez playing second base for the White Sox next year. We're still at the point where we're plugging in guys to see what they got and, uh, you know, letting guys play through their, uh, you know, their adjustments and, and, this is not where any of us thought we were going to be at this point of what the, you know, you can't even call it a rebuild anymore. The rebuild should be done where this is, this is the window of contention and uh, you know, same stuff. Uh, mistakes have been made. Some of those mistakes uh, were things that we thought look good on paper. We could look at uh, you know, the off or the mid season uh, moves last year. We thought were, if not great moves, they were necessary moves. You know, we had to fill a hole at second base. Um, you know, Nikki two strikes, unfortunately, has not been able to stay healthy since his uh, time with the big league club. And they made a move, and it didn't work. And then they went out and they got the best closer in the National League, and they got and brought him over, and it didn't work. But to think about where we are with these contract negotiations and how we, you know, we have praised Rick Hahn for being able to uh, extend some of these young guys that are 
homegrown talent that, you know, looks like if they live up to their potential are going to be uh, discount deals, you know, considering the, what you know, what their potential is. That's awesome. But here we are still trying to plug holes and trying to do it frugally. It's, uh, it's disturbing. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to be the first, I'll be right along the first person to say it, uh, alongside that person, um, that Rick Hahn has a very, very difficult job. And part of the, part of the issue here is, is that I know that he would rather be able to go into the free agent market and dip his toes in there and actually be able to get some of these deals done. Now, how far would he be willing to go if he was to make these deals? That, I I mean, who knows? Who knows, like, when the Machado-Harper thing was going on, whether he was uh, beating his head against the wall because they wouldn't give him the extra money to make the the over-the-top offer that was definitely going to get the player here. Now, personally, uh, I didn't particularly care for Machado anyway, so I was happy with it um, that they didn't sign him. However, the other side of that coin, uh, you know, who knows which direction he would have gone if it was solely his decision. I don't know. And, you know, it seems like he's always dealing with these uh, payroll constraints and these budgets that are self-imposed to make a couple of people that are already worth, you know, three quarters of a billion dollars, $4 billion, the investors in the White Sox, you know, to make them an extra five, $10 million over, over a season because, you know, you're not spending well, it on a contract. That actually brings up a, a question that I have, and I want to know what you guys think. Uh, I'd like to hear from both of you on this, but, you know, looking back at those, I guess what you would call team-friendly extension deals that, you know, uh, guys like Luis Robert and Tim Anderson and Yoan Moncado had all signed, and a lot of these guys were on their rookie contract, you know, when they when these when these contracts were signed. All of them were on rookie contracts when they were signed. Uh, Tim was the one that was coming up closer to the end of his rookie contract in comparison to some of these other young guys. But, uh, if we look back at these, these team friendly deals now, and we think about where we're at right now, were those deals really necessary at the time? Could we have kept these guys on those deals? And I'm not saying it's right to do this. But could we have kept these guys on on these contracts for a little bit longer to be able to fill the holes that we need to fill today, and get the players and bring these bring these players that we need to you know get to that pinnacle at the end of the road and bring home the uh, the uh, flag trophy at the end of the season? You know, I, I mean, what do you think? And you know, worry about extending these guys later. We extended some of these guys without them ever stepping field on a on a major league diamond. I'm I'm and when I say, say we, I mean the Sox. I'm sorry, I keep saying we, yeah. but no, it's all good. Uh, I'm gonna say I'm actually 
glad they did, especially for the guys that they seem to have done it with. Um, they those are the players that are kind of like the cornerstones of the team. Uh, if they didn't, it would have been. I think it would just been another problem of guys they would have to search for, partially because, uh, in up until recently, they've been kind of like a, a second place mind, just get, getting by kind of team. And if and if they weren't at this point that they are, it, that trend might have continued. They might not be pushing as hard as they would. Ian, what do you think? This is such a garbage question. <laughs> because the fact that Thank we're you. <laughs> the fact that we're even talking about this is absolutely absurd. <laughs> but it's a great question. I'm not going to say that it's not. This that's actually I and I've never heard anybody say this, but I 100% agree with you. Because you aren't doing much. I mean, they signed Grandal, they signed uh they signed uh Hendricks, you know. Um and uh Keichel. Uh, and Lance Lynn, they extended him. But the other guys, you know, right now, you would be paying half of this team just league minimum or just above on arbitration for, uh, I think for Yoan would be uh, year one of arbitration this year, if I remember correctly, I think. I think it's year one of arbitration for him that he gave up uh, this year. And I'm going to look that up because I am curious now. Uh, in the uh, again in this uh, conversation of hypotheticals that we're having today, um, just like to uh, take this moment to say that you are listening to White Sox Daily Live. You can find us on Twitter at Daily White Sox. You can find a Facebook page uh, for White Sox Daily. Uh, you can find all three of us on Twitter uh, with our handles at Iaskridge, at Xavier underscore Sanchez4, and at Danny Miller WSD. Um, all right, let's look here. Uh, Yoan Mancada, he is okay. So uh, coming up this year in 2022, this would be his uh, ARB. Uh, what? Why do you do that? Why? I don't understand why you would do that. Uh, so on this thing here, it says for 2022, it says Yohan Mankata uh, Arb 2. Uh, but he did sign away his uh, his arbitration. Okay, so you'd be on your second year of uh, arbitration with Mankata. You're going to be on your second year of arbitration with Giolito, so you're going to end up paying him, you know, like eight and a half million bucks, whatever. You'd probably end up paying Mankata somewhere around $8 million. But I 100% agree with what you're saying, is was it necessary to extend these guys and get an extra year or two added onto their contract if you weren't going to actually go all in and try and win the thing. Now, we saw on the other side of town where guys didn't get extended and they did win in 2016, but uh, they never extended any of those guys. And 
what did the what did that team do in after the service manipula service time manipulations that were made to keep these guys there an extra year longer, which is not the same thing, but you know, essentially we're talking about service time here. Um, what did they do with that final year? Nothing, because they shed all of their payroll. So is it really worth signing these guys to early extensions? Or do you say, oh, well, we were going to give him $10 million a year extra per year. Why don't we just take the four guys that we were going to pay that to, take that $40 million and go and get somebody who's already a superstar instead of these guys that we don't know whether they're going to be superstars. They look like they're going to be. They look like they're going to be great. However, you never know. You know? And you know... Go ahead, please. I think this is like a, a perfect White Sox question just because uh, I think to be a little bit, be able to do both. Like, it's like, come on, like, why can't we do this for those guys and then trying to hunt down this player? But um, I'm like, like hearing you guys both just talk about this. I'm like in between if this was the case because we don't know those guys like personally. So, who knows if they didn't get those, if that would have been something that like got in their way of how they're going to play. Because uh, we saw with various players around the league, it's all that's ever talked about, like trying to get their more money on whatever contract and being extended. And that's all that they have to hear about. And then they either don't perform or perform really well, but they, there's like a distaste. There's like they're detached from the team at times, and luckily that hasn't been the case with some of these people. But if they didn't get the money, I don't know if some of these guys would have been cool with that. And well, I, I mean, that. I get I get what you're saying there, but you know, again, uh, Luis Robert extended before ever playing a single game in the major leagues. Aloy, uh, Aloy extended before ever playing a game. In the majors, uh, you know, I, yeah, I can see being slightly disheartened by not getting paid, but you know, as we know, this is a game of show me and, you know, more often than not guys get paid for past performance. You know, we look at these, these mega deals, they're, they're signing these mega deals because of what they've done and what they've shown on the field already. And here we are in the White Sox organization, and we're paying guys for future performance that we don't even know is going to pan out. And, you know, as we've seen many times in the past, it doesn't always work out that way. You know, we've seen a lot of top prospects come out and, you know, crap the bed. Uh, the other point that I was going to make here is that, you know, I, I asked the question, but at the same time, and I'm guilty just like everybody else is here, we lauded. We lauded those moves, or at least most of us did. The fandom loved it. We thought, okay, we're signing these guys to team-friendly contracts that, you know, are going to keep them in the system till 25, 26, 28. Put an asterisk by that because that was with the proviso that, quote-unquote, the money will be spent. So them locking these guys up on these deals was contingent on them doing other things 
to fill out the roster, which up to this point, the only thing that they've spent money on is the catcher, which was a great move, but he's not here for that much longer. Uh, they extended Lance Lynn, but they bought a closer, and they traded Nick Madrigal for another closer, which... On the surface, I didn't think it was a bad deal when it was made. So I want to I want to say that. But one thing that these other teams that are chasing the White Sox, okay, so you have your contention window. You did your tanking a couple calendar years before these teams did. So you had your head start of crappy picks. You know, or, or crappy placement picks. So you had very high draft picks. The Tigers have outdone us in sucking and have had great picks for longer than the White Sox did. So now they have a deeper, you know, set of prospects without yeah, trading away great. Yeah, without without trading anybody. They didn't need to trade Chris Sale. They didn't need to trade, you know, Adam, no, they just keep Adam going back Eaton. to the well. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, you're talking about, uh, what is that, uh, Riley Green, uh, Spencer Torkelson. I mean, they have guys that are coming, plus they have all that pitching that they've gotten as well. And now they're starting to find guys that can play baseball that were not highly rated. So now your window of contention from the backside is shrinking because they're catching up quicker than you are progressing. And you're not willing to go that extra mile to make your team that much better than them that you still cruise through the division. So, you know, your your window's getting smaller, and you haven't taken that extra step to get that guy that everybody, you know, when you see these rebuilds, you know, I know that, uh, you know, it's frowned upon, but that uh, that John Lester move, you know, where the Cubs came out and they spent big chunk of change and signed a, a monstrous free agent that kind of got them going. And then they went and signed Hayward, which, you know, we knew that was a bad contract off the bat. <laughs> we all knew that was a bad contract off the bat. Cubs fans were stoked, but on the other side where we're not looking at it, you know, like we're looking at it through objective glasses, not just, yeah, we won the offseason. You know, like we're looking at the numbers and we're going, that's not a great deal, but it ended up, being one of those deals that ended up pushing them over the top because you had solid defense out of him and uh, decent contact. And then in the playoffs, when it really mattered, that's where he was. And he put them over the top with his, uh, you know, well, Anthony Rizzo's walking around without his pants on, you know, Hayward's there making the speeches <laughs> and, and getting guys going, you know, I mean, the White Sox haven't done that yet. And from what I've seen, it they are not willing to make that commitment. Now, how true that is, I don't know. I know that they will say, oh, but we offered Machado a lot. Well, you offered Machado a lot, yes, but you didn't offer him what he wanted. I mean, if you came to my house and you wanted to buy, 
you know, say you wanted to buy this lovely computer that I've finally fixed and have running this nice stream. Say you came over and you wanted to buy it, but you didn't want to give me cash. You wanted to pay me in wampum and sacks of grain. And I would say, that's not what I want. That's essentially like kind of how I feel like how the White Sox operate is that they, you know, move goalposts on on what they see as being acceptable. And, you know, we, we've seen this over and over and over again. And like I said, a, up to this moment, we haven't seen them go to the point where it's like, okay, finally, we, you know, we end up signing up somebody. I, I mean, I know that they offered Wheeler some money as well. That's fine. You know, we can we can go over this as many times as we want. As Rick Hahn says, is that it is binary. Either you did it or you did not. You either say that one more time. That it's binary. Either you who said that? Rick Hahn. One okay. Just Rick uh, Richard Hahn, uh, general manager for your Chicago White Sox. Um, I just wanted to hear it one more time, and I wanted to make sure that our listeners heard that. It was Rick Hahn who yeah, said that. It's either a one or a zero. You either signed him or you didn't. And, you know, we've heard from numerous people that Yasmani Grandal, that's who they had their eye on. They went out and signed him early, and it's the richest contract uh, per year that the White Sox have ever have ever done. And people said we overpaid, but realistically, you know, you didn't for that kind of output out of that position where that output does not exist normally. So I would say that they they did a great job with that signing. However, like you said, here we are still looking years later. We're still watching guys learn on the job. And uh, you know, play through rookie struggles at the at the big league level, which you know, I don't think at this point that that's what we should be looking at. But you know, and you know, I don't want to sound like Polly piss pants the whole show. Yeah, either. no, yeah, we, fair. We, I you know, so I just want to say this that you know, next year, uh, you know, I should start, but I should preface by saying we all know how last year went with the, the amount of injuries that the White Sox sustained uh especially with you know some of their young stars uh particularly Aloy and uh you know La Pantera but uh you know it, it, we could be singing a completely different tune next year if all the cogs in the wheel finally come together the way we believe they would you know a, a couple years ago and Aloy comes out and he plays a season up to the potential that we expected to get from him when we were, you know, hearing about him throughout his entire uh, minor league career. Lewis Robert comes out and does the things that we all pretty much know he can do because, I mean, we you saw know, it we, for the last Jason, two months. Yeah. And Jason Benetti calls him, you know, the, the under armor mannequin, which I, you can't disagree with. The guy is, he's, uh, he's statuesque and, uh, you know, Adonis like even. And, you know, and then you, you've got some of these other guys that look like, you know, Yoan suffered uh, some COVID issues in 2020 and never really seemed to be the same and fought through hamstring injuries and leg injuries and foot and ankle injuries and back injuries on top of the COVID. And, you know, all these guys 
everybody played that 60, you know, anybody that played that 60 game season and came back this year and played again, you know, conditioning could obviously wasn't going to be the same. So, you know, there's a very good chance that, you know, this is still a really good team on paper. I don't want to make it sound like yeah, we are pooing on everything here. I mean, there's a, there, this is a team that on paper looks like it can go for a very long run and go, can, can make it past that first round of the playoffs and go deep into the playoffs. But who's to say anything changes next year? We've seen this two seasons in a row now where we have won one game in the playoffs. So I don't want to poo-poo everything. I there's 100% still agree that with potential. You. There's that, still that potential. There is potential that they're going to be great, but it's again, you know, this show, just like this show, we're dealing in hypotheticals. Right. You know, we don't know that they're going to come out next year and be anything different than than what they were this year. I mean, if you get or the season before. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you get a full year of Luis Robert, but who's to say that he puts together a full year where he looks like that all year long? Who's to say that Aloy doesn't wrap himself up in the outfield uh, net again, you know? I mean, we, we've seen so much potential, but, you know, if it's if one of those guys goes down, you know, and you lose three months out of the season, then they have to come back and they have to do their rehabs and all that, and then they have to start over from square one. You know, it's just, I don't know, man. It, to me, I, I look at it and... I look at it from the point of view is that these guys have to all be good when you are going up against, uh, you know, it's like even the, even the Astros rookies that were playing against the White Sox had big hits in times when it mattered in that playoff series, you know? And I mean, Gavin Sheets did, he had a, he had, you know, a couple of big hits. However, you know, it's like the rest of the team just kind of lay down and laid down and died. So I know that they, you know, the the whole thing was that they said that uh well we you know, in 2020 we uh we learned something and then in 2021 we see a repeat of the same thing. What we need is we need somebody that's going to push it to that next level and I, you know, I don't know. Just call me skeptical, you know. It's that uh, battered White Sox fan syndrome. Um, I just I need to I need to see it. I need to see it before I can believe it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> you know, and that's it, it. That's exactly right. I, I feel the same way. I need to see something. You know, because again, uh, team results as a whole when we're looking at them in the future is a lot like looking at a prospect that hasn't done it yet in the future, trying to prognosticate, you know, everything looks as though it should go a certain way, but until it happens, you know, uh, you know, it, it, it didn't happen. And we could talk about how good they look on paper, but if you're not showing me and, and, you know, the other thing about it is too, is, you know, people love to bring up that this is, I, I shouldn't say love, but I've seen it quite a few times on social media that, you know, this is the first time in, in franchise history that the team has gone to the playoffs back-to-back seasons. Well, it sure don't feel like a good thing. It sure, it, it you know, I've, I've seen a handful of playoffs in my lifetime of this White Sox team, and I feel like every one of those other playoffs has felt better than these two because, quite frankly, those these, these past two playoffs, have these postseasons have just been absolutely atrocious. 
aside from one game each year, it's been atrocious. It has not been fun to watch. It has been frustrating and infuriating. I mean, think about this, Uh, you know, different sport, but uh, the Buffalo Bills of the uh, late 80s, early 90s went to the Super Bowl, what, like uh, three years in a row? Four times in a row. Four years in a row. And uh, did they ever win? One. No. No, they didn't. I'm they, sorry. They came yeah. close to winning. They, yeah, they came they close. They lost on a, on a missed field goal. Scott Norwood. Yes, they came the close. Giants. That was as close as they got in 1991, I believe. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. So they went to the playoffs uh, four years in a row. Think back to the, uh, the 90s Braves. Until they won that World Series, they were in the playoffs for what? Like uh, they were in in the playoffs for like 10 years, like a decade straight. Yeah. It was the, in the entire nineties, they went from, they went from worst to first in 1990. Yeah. And, and then they stayed in the playoffs all the, the rest of the time through. Yeah. But and they, they got w- themselves, finally got themselves one, one out of that, out of 10 years, they got one. Like, this is my point. Exactly. Is that you can have a talented core which the White Sox clearly do. They've done a good job building the team. However, you need more than a good core to win the World Series, you know? And uh, you need to make the the right uh, the right front office moves and uh, stuff like that. I, I, you know, and like you said, I don't want to sound like I'm uh, always ragging on the White Sox because, you know, they are the team that uh, this whole thing is about. But, uh, you know, it is frustrating. And it's one of those things where you, you feel like I just need that one thing to pop them over the – pop them past the barrier. And, uh, you know, it seems like there's always a slight budgetary constraint that just makes it so that's not possible. And, um, you know – you look at the payroll, and right now uh, on Spot Track, I think they're like one hundred and seventy million dollars. So, you know, it's the highest that the White Sox have ever had, I believe, uh, if I remember correctly. I think it's the highest. I don't know what their highest of all time is. I'd have to look that up. I am kind of uh, blanking that out of my memory, but um, you know, in relative terms. Their highest is still, you know, by the time all the rest of the teams catch up and actually spend money after this uh, this CBA is done with, the White Sox aren't going to be in top five anymore like they are right now, at least in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, they won't, they won't be. As a matter of fact, I don't believe they are top five anymore after some of the moves that have been made. I think they've already dropped out of the top five, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, but, let's uh, me look. No, they are five. They're number five at 169. But the okay. Boston Red Sox are at 164. Now, if you think that the White Sox are going to be ahead of the Boston Red Sox at the end of free agency going into the season, I have uh, some fine land to sell you uh, in the village of Bedford Park. Did I mention that it's near bodies of water and railways? Um, yeah, I just I don't see them being in that top five, you know? Um, I think that the Phillies will probably pass them up. The Angels will probably pass them up. The Red Sox will pass them up. Um, 
I wouldn't be surprised if uh, you know the Astros uh, uh, also catch up, and possibly the, even the Cardinals for crying out loud. I mean, yeah, I was going to say there's it's 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 now stranger things have happened. Maybe they do go out and spend a ton of money. You know, once this thing gets figured out, maybe they don't. I don't know, but it is within the realm of possibility to believe that they even drop out of the top ten by the time it's said and done. It's entirely possible. I used to play uh, baseball in Bedford Park. Oh yeah. Day. <clears throat> yep, I had uh, uh, an O for O game with five walks that day. Hey, all right. OBP monster. Look at that. That's Bedford amazing. Park. I'm trying to think. You know, I live about a block away from Bedford Park. <laughs> wow, pretty close. I don't think I've ever been to Bedford Park. Maybe I drove through it once or twice. Um, I have a, their shield on the on the sleeve of a bunch of T-shirts, but uh, it is ninety eight percent industrial park. There's, yeah, uh, there is a very small village kind of nestled in uh, where Corn Products is over there off of Harlem, and uh, that's about it, man. Even though the uh, the land here is quite a bit larger than its population, but I digress. Yeah, those commercials, man. Oh, uh, the uh, yeah, the home of the uh, the water supply. Yeah, exactly. Between <laughs> that and uh, hey, everybody, this is Colleen. Um, you know those yeah. all those uh, Bing Bong. Uh, what was that? Bing Bang Bong. Uh, yeah. The lottery commercial. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's. Uh, those uh, those commercials every year we get we get we at least get one new commercial that gets overplayed every single commercial break that uh, always has something that we remember. Um, yeah, so I guess we'll have to uh, now. How are you guys feeling? Do you guys feel like uh, are, do you guys want to take next Monday uh, for the holidays? And. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. Uh, you know, Christmas and New Year's kind of coming up yeah. here. And uh, unless there's any kind of real news, which I am uh, feeling like there isn't going to be, uh, we're going to be pretty strapped for uh, topics. Yeah, well, I mean, there's always stuff to talk about. But, um, you know, at the same time... Uh, You know, like, again, you know, like, this conversation's awesome, you know? Like, I enjoy this conversation. However, (laughs) you know, again, we're talking in hypotheticals, you know? Um, It's 100% unknown. Unknown? Yes, it's unknown. Uh, Un-Christmas gnome. Uh, It's unknown what's actually, you know, what's going to end up happening because... uh, there's nothing going on. They can't do anything. There aren't any rumors because uh, you can't really He's have coming. any rumors. I think I, I think I did hear that. You can't have any rumors. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know. I mean, we could start one. Yeah, we could. Um, White Sox Newsbot says uh, Harry Carey was. Uh, Offered a lucrative porn contract. Really? Yeah, huh. I, I didn't know uh, necrophilia was a thing. I would have never. Uh, I'm sure it is for somebody. Um, that is. Uh, that's not one that I expected to hear. Um, I've no, seen. I mean, I've that, some, that's definitely a rumor. Yeah, I've seen some uh, some really 
uh, weird things on that sock spot thing. And uh, whoever made that, that was uh, that was pretty genius stuff right there. Whoever made that thing, um, yeah. So uh, I don't know, man. Um, let's see here. Uh, I guess we could uh, we could call it for the week. Um, because, uh, again, we're all dealing in hypotheticals, and there isn't really anything going on. Um, I would say I do have this uh, thing where we could rank Christmas movies, but it'll take a long time. And I don't think that that's really uh, – that's not really worth it. Um, so uh, I guess uh, we'll go ahead and call it there. And um, it's been a fun year, gentlemen. And uh, I guess Indeed. we'll have um, – we won't have another one until after uh, until after New Year's Eve. So uh, happy All holidays, right, well. uh, happy happy twenty twenty one. Had a good time with you guys and appreciate it. Yeah, um, uh, the pleasure's been mine, and I uh, I appreciate you uh, allowing me to be a part of your uh, production here. And uh, I thank you, Xavier, for uh, letting me sit in as well as you being one of the uh, the OGs of the. Uh, the original dugout podcast. So thank you for that. Thank you for letting me jump in here. I, I, uh, I owe it all to you too. So Merry Christmas to you guys. And, uh, this is Danny Miller. See, and, uh, see you next year. Xavier, you got anything to say? Got any, uh, predictions for the new year? Uh, a white Sox world series. Yeah. Some new players, uh, great performances from the old players. <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully more than uh, five hundred and sixty-two thousand dollar new players. I'm hoping for. Um, yeah, let's <laughs> let's get a World Series and send off that old man <laughs> to retirement. Hey, let's hope. Um, yeah. So, uh, White Sox, uh, White Sox Daily Life. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Daily White Sox, uh, Facebook White Sox Daily. Um, find us. Uh, Find all three of us again on uh, on the Twitter sphere. Um, Substack, you can find uh, White Sox Daily on there as well. Uh, there's articles uh, for uh, the podcast form anywhere that you uh, look for your podcasts. Uh, look for your podcast of uh, our, our White Sox Daily Live podcast there. And uh, th- thank you for uh, watching and listening. And um, We'll talk to you guys next year. Uh, Have a happy holiday and a great new year. And uh, thanks. Thanks.